Welcome to the Inspiring Sustainability podcast. And today we're also going live on Periscope. So welcome to all those people that are joining us live on the video. And today I have Tom Old and Carl Walker joining me here today who have a number of hats that they wear. And so I'm really looking forward to finding out about them, their businesses and their journeys that they've been on. And um, if you want to listen to more podcasts, obviously there's more podcasts in the Inspiring Sustainability series, plus you can uh, find them on the website, plus other blogs about other interesting topics. So, Tom and Carl, do you want to, what I'd say is just give us a very quick uh, summary of yourselves, and then I'll ask you to go into a bit more detail about a particular journey that you went on. So, Tom, maybe first. Yes, yeah, I guess I'm one of those people who had a sort of an unquenched desire to, to really get out and do something from a sustainable sustainability background. Or, um, but so what are you best known at doing at the moment? What am I best known? What are you doing at the moment? What's a we, big thing? Uh, the, well, the, the, the two big projects we're working on at the moment or businesses is our clean switching, energy clean switching organisations. Right. So you know, one of them is there to help individuals switch to clean energy supply. Um, through a program called the Big Clean Switch, yeah. and the second is Clean Energy UK, and that helps organisations and businesses switch to clean energy supply. So right, that's what we do. right. And that was, that's is that that's your main day yeah. job as well? Yeah, right? exactly. Right. Okay. Main day job. I also sit on the board of directors for the Carbon Free Group as well. Um, that's an innovative platform for launching clean renewable technologies, predominantly just clean innovative tech. Right. Uh, that's very interesting. Great stuff. Okay then. So. Um, one of the things that uh, piqued my interest when I, I met you guys a month or two ago was actually that both of you have got some association with Al Gore. So I thought a, a really great way to start this interview would be for you individually to tell me about uh, your journeys to, to kind of meeting Al and then what, maybe what's happened since then. And also I understand that actually maybe brought you together. So at some yeah, point there'll be a, a seeking in together. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, maybe start with you, Carl, this time. What, what's, what, what took you to, Carl, uh, to Al in the first place? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've practised in uh, energy and sustainability for about 15 years plus. Um, originally started my career out working in, in Australia for Interface. You kind of pioneered the whole sustainable... Interface? Interface carpets. Right, OK. Pioneered the whole sustainable business development. And um, so I then spent 15 years working... Uh, predominantly in green building design and construction mm-hmm. and led the agenda for the Brent Civic Centre which um, was uh, awarded for the most sustainable public building in the UK yeah. running on uh, waste fish oil um, and um, I had an extraordinary experience working uh, and um, supporting the sustainability leading the sustainability team Acom, okay. and um, and f- following that, I just got to a point where I was just like, I really enjoyed the experience of working on large scale projects, but there was something I needed to, to go and entertain and and, mm. and understand a bit more. Um, and obviously, when you're working in a in a large scale commercial outfit, it's probably only about thirty percent of the projects that you're working on are really pushing pushing the bounds in terms mm. of innovation, and so I, uh, I took a, a sabbatical and I went to uh, Southeast Asia where I have family out there mm-hmm. 
and did a whole number of volunteer projects. Um, I was building check dams in the jungle, teaching English, doing various projects at schools, and part of that process uh, uh, enabled me to to find the time to to apply for something I've been wanting to do for a while, which was the Climate Reality Project. And uh, so I applied, and uh, I was accepted and went to uh, do the, the, the course in Australia, where I met some extraordinary people. Had an amazing uh, educational experience. And this is where you taught, was Al there for that? Yeah, yeah, very much so, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a large number of people yeah, there, of course, but, but you do get some... Uh, some interpersonal time as well, although that's obviously limited. There's there's a there's a lot of people there, but I think what was extraordinary about that is you witness being in the presence of someone who has uh, an extraordinary aura about them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very very powerfully motivated in a very positive and constructive way, and um, that was a very interesting uh, experience um, and. I think all of us, you know, have witnessed times where um, what's going on around us in the world is is is, is quite difficult to see. Mm-hmm. And I remember Al Gore uh, presenting uh, what is probably about three or four hours of, of his presentations and explaining the reasoning behind them. And he said some very poignant words, mm-hmm. which were, excuse me. There is no time for despair. Mm. And in all honesty, I was at a point taking some time out from work. Mm. Perhaps wasn't at a place of despair. But I was definitely coming to terms with what we were doing to our collective home. And so that was a very powerful experience and essentially motivated me to to, to come back to uh, the, the UK after a teaching uh, kids because um, you make a commitment having done the right. reality training uh, I taught kids in the ages of 7 to 18, not something I've been accustomed to doing and um, taught them to <clears throat> understand the concept of climate change and uh, it was very rewarding actually, right. very rewarding right. and uh, that, you know, came back and, and climate reality is, is Essentially, how Tom and I met. Actually. Right. Okay. Yeah. So maybe Tom, you give us a quick uh, sort of summary of yourself that took you up to uh, maybe meeting me Cal, Cal. Um, and then you, maybe you kind of like take on jump, since jump, then. Jump from jump so from a little forward. Keep going. Um, well, I think I'd, we need to acknowledge the Inconvenient Truth, which was you know Al's first film in yeah. 2006. Um, I knew there were challenges in the world, um, but I hadn't really seen them clearly articulated and kind of explained. And that film was really. Um, empowering and, and motivating for me. Um, it was, and it was certainly sitting in the back of my mind over almost the next decade or the next kind of eight years when I knew I wanted to be doing something um, helping our future, something sustainably orientated. As it happens, I was working in an, in- in an industry in an organisation that was making products in southern China and flying half of them around the world, and I was probably building up a big uh, carbon debt by doing so. Um, and so I, I left that organisation three years ago. I wanted to go out and do something myself, apply the entrepreneurial commercial skills that I had obtained and put them to good use. And um, I took the opportunity to 
follow through with this aspiration to learn more about the inconvenient truth. And at the time, I hadn't realised that there was this thing called climate reality, which mm. is run by Al Gore, and it's a follow-on, really, from the inconvenient truth. Mm. There's probably about 10,000 climate reality-trained leaders around the world, mm-hmm. which he's helped train. And really, we are trained up to provide uh, and talk through kind of a, a presentation, which is the modern-day equivalent of that film. Yeah. Um, so I learned that the organisation existed and wanted to go on one of the training sessions, which was out in the US. Unfortunately, it clashed with my brother's wedding. And there's only a couple of these each year. And I did wrestle with it quite hard. And in the end, I thought it was better not to... Uh, I thought I should go to the wedding. Yeah, um, that's, that's probably politically. <laughs> your family. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. So, um, I, thinking outside the box, I could wait for six months so I could actually find other people in the UK who had already been on the course and and learn from them. And so after much kind of badgering the US office, they revealed that there was a talk taking place in London um, that was uh, sort of coming up the following week. So I went up to London, and it turned out to be a talk that Carl was doing. I think the twist in the story was meant to be a private talk that he was giving to us a board of architects in a, in a sort of private kind of penthouse office. And somehow I wound my way in there and sat down and with, a, with a few kind of surprised looks. But that was when we, we met. And uh, I then went on to go out to the Philippines to do my training there, right. which was um, in itself incredible. And it's worth acknowledging why they'd chosen the Philippines because, um, as I say, two or three times a year they'll choose to do a training course um, in different countries. The reason they chose the Philippines is that the Philippines have been consistently hit by some of the world's largest storms coming off the, uh, coming off the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they call it sort of Typhoon Alley. And we actually uh, were lucky enough to have a talk from the mayor of Tacloban. And the Tacloban was basically ground zero for the, the world's largest storm that hit that island. It just completely devastated it. So hearing from the mayor of Tacloban firsthand around how that had hit the island mm-hmm. was just, um, yeah... Awakening, sobering, yeah, sobering, yeah. So and so, tell me, you guys met up. Um, looks like a marriage made in heaven, uh, <laughs> you know, love at first sight. Um, and then you, you've consummated that that uh, that with uh, with a couple of businesses. Yeah. yeah. So just uh, we'll go. We'll come back to those uh, businesses uh, a little bit later because that, that's that's what you've been kind of working on sure. to a certain extent since then. Mm. So what I'm really interested in, uh, flowing on from that conversation about Al and the inconvenient truth, is that, you know, as you say, there's many, many positives that have come out from the inconvenient truth. But one thing that I'm personally curious about, and we've actually talked about before, is what, what were maybe some of the unintentional things that happened, um, that came out of an inconvenient truth and, and Al Gore's position mm-hmm. that maybe we can learn from and actually going forward um, we've got uh, ways and means of uh, helping climate action happen more, uh, in more of a flow than sometimes a little bit staccato at the moment well if, if any of the listeners and watchers are interested in climate change and the psychology behind climate change I would urge them to go and read up on George Marshall who's published an incredible piece of work digging into the psychology of climate change and the, uh, there's a few kind of lessons or bits of information that sort of come from, come from his work. One is if, if people are given a problem that seems too big yeah. to digest, they, they tend to put their heads in the sand. Yeah, turn blind eyes. Um, yeah. And I think that was, you could argue that that's what the inconvenient truth did to some people. Secondly, at the time, there was more around articulating the problem and the solutions weren't in the foreground. Mm. 
Uh, and so it was, it, was, it was more of a negative message than a positive one. And mm-hmm. um, people tend to associate change with negativity. When in actual fact, change should be about progression and positivity. Yeah. So I think those are, the, those are two elements. And, yeah. and certainly, unfor- particularly in the US, you know, climate change has become this heavily politicised word that yeah. is completely de- detached from the science and the meaning of what it actually supports. It, it just, it's a political football, yeah. which yeah. is now being kicked around. Um, and it's part, in part due to this, this the kind of very entrenched environmental sort of position that's associated with climate change. When in actual fact, climate change is way more about the environment. It's about our economy. The economy mm. survives and least depends on our environment. It's about social justice and people's well-being around the world. You know, that, they need the land and, and, the, and the resources to exist. Um, but unfortunately, climate change has been pigeonholed with this environmental yeah. piece, which is, is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, Carl, one of the things that uh, I've been really interested in is about um, also that it's the something about how it's become, as you say, quite sort of uh, separated mm. with, you know, mm. to, to caricature it, there's a Democrats mm. on one side, there are Republicans yeah. on the other, yeah. or certainly the, the, the narrative is very different. divisive. Yeah. So one of the things I'd be, I'm interested in your thoughts about uh, uh, that, how do we kind of, in, in the UK particularly, uh, maybe globally, um, some of the things that you've been seeing that have been helping take it away from being that uh, either you believe in it or you don't, mm-hmm. your climate action or your climate denier. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that you've kind of come up with that you've thought about with well, that? I think first and foremost, it's, it's changing the conversation. It's um, having the conversation with individuals who uh, potentially have very different core values from us as individuals mm-hmm. and having the conversation and finding a, a point at which you can connect, mm-hmm. finding a point in which you can come together and not necessarily agree, but it might be around uh, an issue of importance to the other person. I think too, too, too often we've become, uh, and particularly in the environmental movement, there's a, there's a very uh, divisive nature. The, the narrative that we're using uh, is kind of the enemy narrative. Mm. And actually, I don't believe that's the, the narrative that's going to get us the solutions that we need in the time frame that we need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think now one of the things that I should also talk to me a bit about, because I think this will be coming through this, is actually I understand that you had something quite exciting which happened after this, the, these conversions that you went through with, you know, Al being a part of yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. That actually yeah. has, has kind of focused you on something yeah. uh, which is a bit different. So tell me more about that. Absolutely. I think, you know, Tom and I met through the Climate Reality Project. And I think there was, uh, I think the Climate Reality Program is extraordinary. It takes the, the it, 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 it presents an invitation in terms of material understanding to a certain audience. But I don't necessarily think at the moment it's, it's, it's broad enough in its scope, and I think there's room for expanding it um, into a narrative that is perhaps a bit more creative. Mm. Tom and I um, spent two weeks in, in, in Paris over COP21, um, immersed in what was called the Creative Factory, a um, uh, place to be, and there we met an extraordinary uh, number of creatives and individuals who were, were kind of looking at, at George Marshall was, was one of them who were looking at the, the climate narrative in a very different way mm. 
uh, sort of expanding on it and, and not looking at it in a way that, that, that's sort of divisive in nature. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, liberals, Democrats, um, you know, Republicans, you know, it, 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 looking at it in a, in a much more sort of um, uh, holistic way. But anyway, we we we, we spent um, we spent two weeks immersed in these in these creative factories, mm. working on um, uh, real life projects, or, or or what would potentially be real life projects. Um, Paris is actually where we met um, an organisation called Here Now Purpose, who uh, Tom and I are, are, are working with um, uh, through uh, our, our campaign, the, the Big Clean Switch. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, it, it's kind of it's been a real uh, energizer in terms of not only bringing us together as as a as a as a as, a, as, a, as a, an organisation. But also, um, it's created a, a, this very synergistic opportunity, which is great. Yeah. No, no, I mean, great. And, and, and Tom, did you, what's been the kind of that creative aspect? How's that being expressed? Because I know you've set up these, these couple of main businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, take us on that, that, that journey about how you've. You focused, in a sense, what I'm really interested in is about how you focus on action, what mm-hmm. people can do. And also it's about, it's, this isn't about climate, it's about clean, mm-hmm. and which is, there's, there's two pivots there, mm-hmm. so, which are, it used to be about belief and climate, mm-hmm. and now it's about clean and action, um, yeah. which are much more positive stories. So tell me a bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think everybody, when you get on a one-to-one basis, acknowledges there's an issue, and it's just that they've got busy lives, and they're focused on living those lives so it's about making change as easy as possible for them to sort of buy into and in actual fact just removing it slightly from the, the kind of the, the, the deep green movement and making it a more sort of mainstream digestible thing uh, is better so we've, we've got those two organisations and sort of campaigns one's called Clean Energy UK and one's called Big Clean Switch mm-hmm. and you're right we're focusing on the word clean over green mm-hmm. um, yeah. no one can argue with the word clean no one wants dirty and we worked very hard to make it easy for an organisation or a household to switch to a clean energy supplier Um, generally it doesn't cost them any money on a domestic level we're seeing at the moment average savings of over £200 per household which is amazing so if you make it easy to do um, you help save people money Um, the third part is is the way we've uh, sort of spread the word and got out to speak to people is through partners and these are either NGOs or corporates um, or media companies. So as an example, we, we ran a campaign with Deloitte. Um, we helped the Deloitte staff kind of switch to clean energy supply. And again, people are living their lives and they need some sort of... They're being bombarded with communication. So if we can um, communicate with them through a trusted sort of third party, then that's, that's our approach to kind of helping drive change. So yeah, now what's that's I mean that's it's inspiring because what it is is it's about recognizing that what we can do with a lot of these things is actually create it so that it doesn't have to be kind of completely conscious that people are doing it, mm-hmm. doing it because their organisation or an NGO they recommended uh, likes it, and then you're actually just making it flow and easy for them. Um, and what 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 are you finding? Have you got any intelligence or data on the sort of people that are switching 
um, and, and that side of things? Well, we ran a bunch of market research, um, quite a lot of market research beforehand to justify the whole project. And we have uncovered that 83% of individuals you know, actually prefer to be with a clean energy supply, but the vast majority of people just didn't realise it was available. Mm. Um, the highest bracket in terms of age was actually between 55 and 65 in terms of the respondents, in terms of their, their warmness, which I actually found surprising. But it was all within a few, de- few, you know, few de- uh, I was going to say a few degrees, a <laughs> few percent. Um, all within a few percent. So yeah, over 80% of the, the UK was sort of polling towards actually yeah. wanting to be clean energy. So that, yeah, they, people want change. They just we need to make it easy for them. I think that's yeah. And so that's, you've talked about domestic side, but what about, you've got a business, the switch as well. Um, tell me more about that car. So we, we also, you know, it's not just about domestic supply and making that easy. It's also, and a big part of this is about education. You know, it's not only individuals, it's also businesses. You know, they, first of all, they don't know that, that clean energy is available to them. So 100% renewable energy. They don't know that it's available to them and they don't know that it's both affordable and competitive and very easy to do. Mm. You know, so it's not necessarily just about uh, putting uh, photovoltaics, solar panels all over buildings, which, you know, absolutely, yes, that's important. But first and foremost, the one thing that businesses can do, the easiest and most cost-effective thing that they can do, in fact, they're likely to save money in a number of instances, depends on the circumstances, but if you don't investigate, you don't find out. So switching to a clean energy supplier is something that businesses can do tomorrow, uh, or at least start the process rolling. It's obviously subject to contract end dates Mm -hmm. and that side of things, slightly different from domestic in that sense, but it's something that they can press a button and start to work towards a uh, a low carbon transition plan. Right, great stuff. And so what's what's been uh, your progress in these two businesses? Which which ones which one's doing uh, the best and or which bits of which one's doing best? And tell, tell me a little bit more about the reality of yeah. uh, your two businesses. Well, everything takes time, but we're delighted. Um, I'll talk about the Big Clean Switch. We've got a number of partners um, that we are engaged with and, and promoting to either their staff or their customers or their stakeholders in some way. So, um, Adams, the brewers, we're sort of just going live with at the moment. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Yorkshire Tea are coming up. Okay, right. um, we've got Islington Council we're working with, um, Manchester Greater Authority we're putting some plans together with. So, there's a quite a diverse range of organisations that really buy into the idea of helping their stakeholders switch, which is great. Great. And what about on the business side? Uh, is, uh, which, one, which one's kind of been the one that's kind of flourishing currently? Well, they, kind of, they kind of bounce off each other, you know. So if we're speaking to an organisation about the Big Clean Switch, mm. it often invites the conversation about you know, how they actually switch their own supply. Uh-huh. And so, you know, there's, there's you know, it's, natural. it's sort of natural kind of supports each other, really. I think on the... On the, on the business side, there's a lot of, you know, it doesn't have to be big companies, it can be SMEs, you know, cafes, yeah. restaurants, etc. And they, they wax lyrical about fresh organic ingredients. Well, actually, if they put a little work with us, we give them a little sticker that goes in the window to say, yeah, proudly powered on fresh organic energy. Um, yeah. Nice play. So it's, yeah, yeah. suddenly your energy bill isn't just a cost, it's just something you can talk about proudly. And have you got any kind of numbers about how many people you've helped switch? That you can chat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're a small business. Mm. You know, we, we, we've not been going for a long period of time. But how, how long have you been going? Sorry. In terms of the clean energy brands, about 12 months. All right, okay. We've switched Early. about 300 businesses, and but we have a, a large order book of, of businesses that 
obviously, you know, there's the contract end dates and coming to the zone, right? You know, it can be sort of six months in advance, nine months in advance. Mm -hmm. So, um, we've got we've got a, a strong order book coming forward. Good. And we're about on the domestic side. So we're coming up to our first thousand customers, right. which we're delighted by. And yeah, we hope that to be. We want we want to make it two hundred and fifty thousand, which would yeah. equate to about one percent of the UK market. So right. Okay. Great. The goal. So you got um, exponential ambitions. Exponential ambitions. Well, that's it's only a big thing which launched at the beginning of the year. So we're kind of oh, really? right at the beginning of that journey, really. Right. Okay. So the uh, the. Uh, clean energy uh, UK started first yeah uh, okay great and what so what uh, in terms of we're starting to wrap up now what have been what have you learned through uh, this journey particularly the recent journey that you think that the listeners might find useful to uh, to, to apply for their own lives yeah I think um, there's always there's always uh, personal learning and growth which is important um, that comes out of the experience of trying to do something a bit differently. Mm. Um, that's that's extraordinary. And, and, and uh, um, but I think in terms of the the key kind of learning is that uh, the communication to uh, each organisation needs to be different. Each mm. organisation is at a different stage of, of the development of mm. of how they either perceive uh, clean yeah. energy yeah. Or, or or whether they're willing to to to, to embrace it. So uh, adjusting the narrative accordingly, mm. responding in that way. Great. Okay. And, and Tom, do you have anything? Yeah, I think in a simplistic level, we've all we can all be agents of change just through our choice of you know what we eat and buy and, and use yeah. uh, goods and services. Um, so I think just becoming by sort of, you know, conscious shoppers, active citizens, um, all those little things do add up. Yeah. So yeah. Oh no, what I'm interested in actually, and I think that's uh, that's absolutely true, but it. It actually, for me, what's personally interesting, just as a final comment, actually, be interested yeah. in your thoughts on that. Actually, that only really works when we've got like effectively a herd mentality going in a direction. Mm. So, and then, and also, then when organisations start, it becomes such a herd that they start to choice edit on our behalf. Mm-hmm. So, the example will be uh, fair trade, and particularly yeah. bananas. Um, so for a period you couldn't choose fair trade and then you could choose fair trade but only from like kind of expensive organic hippie stores and then you started to get them on the shelves of the supermarkets but only maybe Waitrose and then now actually it's got to the point where Sainsbury's they only sell fair trade bananas Um, and so that's obviously influencing the market strongly Um, and so eggs is another great example yeah exactly and now the amount of people that actually pay a good premium for um, for organic and free range is, is a lot, and actually it's often at least half as much again. But the people just automatically pay that. Yeah, businesses do listen to what consumers are doing. They do watch what consumers are doing and react. Um, so I think the other thing I take away from my experience in the last eight months is actually the amount of change that is happening. So mm-hmm. don't let don't be negative. Don't think that things don't, aren't going to change. What's changed in the last decade is, is monumental. We need a lot more change, and yeah. people can be active agents in that change mm. they choose to be so I think the thing for me just as a, as a final uh, my, my comment as uh, summarising it is that obviously you've been you big guys have been through a really big change journey yourself uh, you had different very you, uh, Carl had quite a different career even though it was the same industry because mm-hmm. um, obviously you're a paid employee fa- fairly high profile in that sense and then you had to take take time out to work on it 
And then Tom, you had uh, you were living the good life with a fantastic business, which was making lots of money, but you didn't feel nourished by it. So then you went on that journey, mm-hmm. met Al, um, but then recognised there was actually things that you could uh, do, which uh, even beyond what Al was saying, because you focused initially on maybe the the training and the teaching, and then actually you uh, recognised that you could do on focusing on the action and the the, the clean solutions. Mm-hmm. And so, and what, what I'm really, and the reason why I wanted to do this interview and, and, and profile you is actually um, not help you, but just it, it make it so that it's just it happens that you're, you, you're, you're flying through that 250,000 yeah. um, or you've influenced somebody else to, mm-hmm. to fly through it. Whatever. Just as long as it's happening, mm-hmm. obviously, if you get the 250,000, it's going to line your pockets nicely. But... It's actually it's about us getting that sort of that herd mentality, just going in the right direction. Crossing mm-hmm. um, the chasm, as Simon Sinek. Yes, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. Um, so wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you for those people that have managed to tune in to see us. And I uh, would also uh, like to remind people that they can find uh, more inspiring sustainability podcasts on uh, inspiring-sustainability.com plus blogs, and you can follow me on various social media platforms and you'll also see uh, the same platforms that you can follow Tom and Cal through that and um, so Adam Woodall signing off from uh, this inspiring sustainability podcast thank you Tom thank you and thank you Cal thank you Adam. and goodbye to the listeners thank you thank you